morning, Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 2. And while I have your attention, our church is going to be having a special kids day uh, on the back to school weekend, September the, September the 3rd. It's that Sunday right before Labor Day, and so you don't want to miss that. We're going to have a great service then. We'll talk more about that as we go. Just want to put that little plug in your ear. September the 3rd. Sunday, September the 3rd. We'll have a great time then. Matthew 22, verse number 2. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, and another to his Merchandise, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And then he said to the servants, The wedding is ready, but the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, as many as ye shall find. Bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And he said to the king, Servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. We pray and ask the Lord to help us understand his word today. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I stand before you, before your people. These are your people. They're precious to you. Lord, they're wonderful to you. You love them. You called them. You put your hand upon their lives. I pray that you'd help me to deliver your word to them this morning. Help us to hear what you have to say. Lord, not uh, just be my words or the words of pastor, but let it be the word of God that touches our hearts today. Change me, God, and help me to hear your word as I preach it to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. God bless you for being here today. We've talked about, the last couple weeks, secrets, God's secrets. And uh, I've made this statement a few times, everybody loves a good secret. We like to know what's, what's, what's the behind the scenes, right? Behind the scenes movies and documentaries are so intriguing, right? If they can take you in where you cannot go yourself, uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of even like to watch those little clips you can, I think you can find them on YouTube, how it's made, right? Like a boring object, like a pencil crayon. How is that made? How, how do they make that? And there's videos out there that show you, they take you behind the scenes into the, the secrets of how it's made, right? And type in things like the best cinnamon bun ever, right? Because someone out there has the secret recipe of how to make the best cinnamon bun, right? 
We, we, we thrive on things that we cannot know, and we want to know the secret. I know you can go on, online and find guys that will expose the magician's secrets, right? They go in and they, they, they show you how the illusion was done. Oh, they put a mirror here. They put a, 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 you know, a, a, a hidden trap door there. And that's how they were able to look like they appeared or disappeared or cut themselves in half or whatever it was that they did that was kind of magical or mystical. There was a, a secret that is revealed. All of that is very fascinating just because deep down inside, we like to know what is the thing that nobody else knows, that secret. And when it comes to the Word of God, God has secrets. Now, not the same kind of secret you might think of like a skeleton in the closet. But God does have things that were hidden that he reveals at certain times and in certain ways. God doesn't reveal everything to everybody. That's why a lot of people read the Bible and leave confused. They'll leave without understanding, or they might misinterpret, misread. And, and then allow that lens to color and filter everything else they see in the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that it's the Spirit of God that leads us and guides us into all truth. You want a better understanding of Scripture? Then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible promises that, that if you have that same Spirit that God promised you, that has that gift... He will lead and direct you. He will speak to you and reveal the word of God to you. He'll show you things you did not see. That's what the Holy Ghost is there for. The Holy Ghost is a teacher. The Spirit of God is one that will illuminate his word. The Bible is the only book that is alive. You can read Mark Twain. You can read Charles Dickens. But it's going to be a one-way conversation. You and the book. But when you read the Bible, the Bible is alive. The Bible is not dead. The author still lives. Amen. Even though thousands of years have passed since the pen was put to paper, or the, the feather was put to parchment, if you will, the quill was put in the ink and dipped into the parchment, or whatever writing utensil they used, whatever it was, it, that, that is how God gave us his word was through the, the men and women that spoke, but he was the one that spoke those words, and he's still alive. So when you read the Bible, you're reading a living book. You're reading a living book. And God has secrets in his book that he wants to show you. Jesus talked to his disciples, and they asked him the question, Jesus, how come you're always telling stories? You're always telling these stories with a, an extra meaning to it, right? You're always, you're always, it's like the story of that one guy who was carrying his cross, and he came to God and said, God, I want, I want a lighter cross. This one's too heavy. And God said, no problem. And just walk through this door, go into the room. There's a special room with crosses that others put down they did not want to carry anymore. So you can go trade your cross for that one. The guy walks into the room and he sees a, a, a cross, but it's bigger than the one he has. And he goes, "No, no, I don't think I want that one. And I don't want to. I don't want to put." So he puts his cross down, and he starts looking around. And he goes over to one, but it's too rough. It's very prickly, and and uh, as soon as he touches it, he gets a sliver in his finger. He says, "No, I don't want that one." So he goes to the next one, and the next one was made uh, out of a very heavy wood. So it, it wasn't very big, but it was 
it was very dense. The wood was dense. And if you've ever tried to lift this pulpit, it's a lot heavier than the old one because it's made of solid wood. The wood is very heavy and dense. And so he knows, no, I can't go to that one. He goes to the last cross in the room, and, and it's huge. It's so giant. He's like, I don't even know how, how that got in here. It doesn't even fit through the door. Look. And, and the Lord said, well, there's one more cross. Oh, okay. Well, he goes over to that cross, and he's like, wow, this is like the perfect size. It's the perfect height. Hey, it fits nicely on my shoulder. Lord, I think I'll take that one. And the Lord looked at him and said, great, that's the one you came in with. <laughs> that's a parable. And it teaches us a lesson. It reveals a secret, right? Be content with what you have. The grass might look greener, but it might come with extra problems, right? Amen, amen, amen. It might come with extra maintenance. The house down the street might be bigger, but two bathrooms are harder to clean than one. <laughs> that's double the cleaning products, right? You might want more square footage, but that's more square taxes. That's right. <laughs> I mean, with every, with every addition, there comes a cross. Right? So, so be content with what you have. That's a parable. And Jesus says, I'm teaching in parables to conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God from those who cannot hear them. But to those who can hear them, the understanding they have, more understanding will be given. And now in the scripture, the understanding isn't maybe what we consider it here in the West where you know, if you don't understand a lesson, that's based on your smarts, your intellect. But Jesus said, basically, whatever they can grasp, if they'll get a hold of that, if they'll grab what they can learn from the lesson, God will add to what they can learn something they could not learn on their own. He'll add to it. And so if you hold on to what you learn from God and you put it to practice right away, God will add to your knowledge. He'll add to your understanding. But if you don't apply, Jesus basically told his disciples, if they don't apply what they understand, then even what they understand will be taken away from them. I went to camp, those same kind of junior camps, with, with, with friends of mine. And at some point in their life, they said, you know what, I'm not really, I'm not really into this Christian thing. I'm going to let go of the understanding I have. I'm not going to hold on to it. And I've talked to some of them recently, and it seems like not only do they not know anything else about God and his kingdom, but the things they used to understand, they don't understand anymore. Even what little understanding they had was taken away from them because they neglected to hold on and maintain what they obtained from God. you got to maintain it. Many people want the healing, but then they don't want to live the lifestyle that continues that healing in their life. Right. Right? You might pray, oh God, heal me from diabetes. But as soon as you get healed from that diabetes, you're going to go right back into the same eating habits that led you into diabetes in the first place. You've got to, you've got to not only receive from God, but you've got to maintain from God what you receive from God. Are you growing the seeds that he's given to you or are you letting them sit in the shelf in your in your in your garage so to speak are, are you letting the verses that God has revealed to you become alive and active in your life or do they sit on the shelf and that's the purpose of a parable 
The parable was to reveal something, but in stages, reveal in stages. And God's, Jesus' parables are almost always about something he called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, in, in Canada, we live in a democracy. We don't live in a, in a, 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 um, a theocracy or some kind of a, a, a kingship situation where there's a, a god over our, our land or, or a king over our land. We live in a democracy where there's a, a democratic group of people that are, are working together to fashion the laws of the land and govern the way the law runs. But in a kingdom, the king is in charge. In fact, the word kingdom is the word the king's domain. Kingdom. King's domain. It's where the king has dominion. It's where the king has authority. And so Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, where heaven has the authority, or God has sole, absolute authority. Everything Jesus talks about, he's always talking about the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom, where God is king, and he decides, he rules, he orders, he establishes, he takes down, he sets up. It's the kingdom of God. Now, everything in the kingdom of God, you have to understand, according to human standards, is upside down and backwards. It's all upside down and backwards. And, and when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, often his teaching doesn't make sense to us because it doesn't follow the rules of conduct that maybe we grew up with or maybe things that make sense to us, right? Kind of like if someone punches you in the mouth, you have the right to punch them back. Kind of that eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you, right? right? The only problem is, when does that stop? Who, who, who gets the last punch? Who gets the last throw? Because you may have punched me and knocked out one tooth, but I punch you, and if I punch out two teeth, then do you get to punch me back? And maybe you're really angry, so you punch even harder, and you knock out three teeth. You know what I mean? Like, when does it stop? Uh, at what point does the, the retribution back and forth come to an end? And we know, just from human history, it, it doesn't often stop, ever. Really. But Jesus said things like, you know, if someone smites you on your right cheek, instead of punching them back, turn the other cheek and let them hit the other side. Let it end with you. Let it stop with you. And that we we there's no there's no fancy way to interpret that. What Jesus said is kind of what he meant. And you look at that and you go, I don't that doesn't I don't I was like, I don't, that, that ain't cool with me. Man, if someone's going to hit me, you know, I might I might want to hit them back. Some of you, I can see it in your eye. There's there's hood in the eye right there. You're just like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put the Holy Ghost on the curb and pick it up when I'm done. I'm, I'm going to leave that. you got to, man, no, we're not going there. That's just going to stay saved here this morning. The kingdom of God is upside down and backwards. It's not like our way of doing it. God's way of doing it is different. It's different. 
And, and this parable we just read this morning in Matthew 22 is actually part three of three consecutive stories that Jesus told in, a, in succession. Back in Matthew 21, Jesus enters into the temple, the place of worship, and he, he forms a whip, and he begins to drive people out of the temple that were selling and changing money, selling sheep and doves and exchanging money. He's turning tables over. He's throwing things around. Jesus is just, you know, there, this is this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. And the religious leaders were furious. They were so angry with Jesus. And they eventually came up to him and said, Jesus, in verse 23, they said, By what authority dost thou do these things? Who gave you this authority? Who gave you the right to walk into the temple and cast people out and throw tables? We were the ones who set them up, Jesus. You're not in charge here. Who put you in charge of this place? Jesus said to them, if you'll answer my question, I'll answer your question. And he asked them a question. He said, John the Baptist, was he from heaven or was he from man? Did John get his messages from God or did he get his messages from other people? And the Pharisees knew they were in a tight spot. So they got into a little huddle. How am I going to answer this question, boys? I don't know. This is a tough one. Yeah, because if we say John the Baptist was from heaven, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you listen to him? And everyone around us is going to, we're going to be shamed because we condemned John's message. He told him that he was crazy. Called him crazy John. But if we say he was from man, the people look at John like he was a prophet. So they're going to hate us. So either way, we're in trouble. So they turn around to Jesus and says, Well, Jesus, we, we don't know the answer to your question. Jesus said, Then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Now you look at that example and you say, Well, Jesus was trying to trap them and expose them. And No, I don't see it that way. Jesus was giving them an opportunity to repent. Jesus was giving them a chance to say, You know what, Jesus? John's message was from heaven, and we didn't listen. We're sorry, and we want, to, we want to hear what God has to say. The Bible says, Jesus said, if essentially he was saying, if you'll be honest with yourself and admit you're wrong about the word of God and the prophet of God, I'll reveal to you by what authority I'm doing this. Jesus says, I'll, I'll, if, you'll, if you'll take the understanding you already have and apply it and repent of your wrongdoing, I'll open up the doors of revelation to you and expose to you the things that you don't understand. I'll give you that understanding. Uh, Jesus would have opened their eyes to who he was, that he was God manifested in the flesh. Jesus would have exposed to them that authority by which he cast people out of the temple. Why did Jesus cast people out of the temple? Because it was his house. Amen. It was his house. He was cleaning up his house. If you came into your house and found squatters living in your house, you would kick them out of your house. 
And they said, well, by what authority are you kicking us out? Here's the title. Here's the deed. There's my name. Here's the purchase price for this home. It's mine. You're trespassing. Get out. Jesus would have exposed to those Pharisees, those if they would have repented, Jesus would have revealed himself to them. See, when it comes to our, our life, when we are confronted by God, our humanity is often like that, that Pharisee. Well, God, who do you think you are telling me how I ought to live my life and how I ought to do this and do that? And we can get all up in a tizzy and we get in our little huddles and, well, how are we going to answer this question? How are we going to figure out this? And there's committees out there. They're rewriting the Bible. Oh, that's right. They're rewriting the Bible to cut out passages they don't like. That's right. They're getting in their little Pharisee huddle and saying, hey, boys, how are we going to deal? This is pretty clear in the Bible. But if we say this from the platform, if we say this from the pulpit, we're going to have to recant what we were saying before. Or we're going to have to explain to a bunch of people, why, 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 why didn't we say what the Bible was saying? So let's just cut these things out. We'll discredit the Bible. We'll say, oh, no, see, now that scripture was written by a rogue uh, priest back in the, the, the early uh, uh, AD 70. And, and they just inserted a few extra things that, that Jesus never actually said. When we know Jesus actually said these words, and they, come, they get in their little house and they rewrite the scripture. But if you would just take the word of God for face value... And accept it. The Bible, Jesus will reveal Himself to you. Yes. Yes. He'll show you His glory. Yes. He'll show you His love. Yes. He'll expose to your mind the things that you did not understand before. He'll give you more understanding. That's what the parables were all about. So Jesus told a series of three stories. I'm not going to go over the first two. You're going to have to go to your own homework and let the Holy Ghost tell you what He was trying to say. But the general message is almost the same every time. It's almost the same every time. If you will repent and turn to God, he'll reveal himself to you. So Jesus tells the third story. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a son, made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants and called them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Now, here's, here's this, this phrase. Everyone say, Come unto the marriage. Come unto the marriage. This is all you have to do. This is your response to the kingdom of God is one word. Come. It's come. That's, that's all you have to do. You have to tell your legs to move from one point to the other. You have to tell, we call that repenting. Repenting is I change, I was walking this way, and the word repent actually means turn around and walk in the opposite direction. How do you respond to God's kingdom? You come to it. That tells you, for one, you're not naturally in the kingdom of God. You're not a native to God's kingdom. Nobody here is a native to the kingdom of God. Everybody in the kingdom is an immigrant. Now, I don't care if you were born in the church, if you're third, fourth, fifth, 75th generation, Pentecostal, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling, born-again, Bible-believing, everything 
on top of that, you're still born out of the kingdom. You're not in the kingdom. Amen. You're out of the kingdom. Yes. You've got to come unto oh, the very yes. self. Bouncing on the knees of, of, of the church mothers while your mom and dad are praying people through at the altar. You still got to come for yourself. Right. You may have been born in a church family, but you've got to still come on your own. Yes. Amen. You've got to come. Amen. And the other thing about that is you don't have to prepare anything. You want to know something? The marriage supper is not a potluck. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. The marriage supper was not a potluck. God said, I prepared the wedding feast. Yes. I got the ox ready. And the fatlings are killed. All things are ready. We were talking about this at, youth, at junior camp because, you know, day three of hot dogs was getting a little, little much for my stomach. And I said to the, the, the staff here, I said, okay, you know, maybe they need to make food for the staff separately. It was okay, but you know, day three of hot dogs is that's pushing it. And you know, they said, you know what? It's not the meat. The meat's easy to cook. It's the sides when you're when you're cooking a dinner. You know, it's easy to throw your your meat into the slow cooker and let it run its course. It's the sides. It's the cornbread. It's the pasta salad. It's the potato salad. It's the coleslaw. Yes. It's the dessert. It's the sides that take so long. And God said, I got the meat taken care of and the sides are ready. I brought the oxen, the fatlings, and all things, all the sides are ready for the marriage. You just have to come. When you come into the kingdom of God, let me tell you something. You've got to leave your opinions at the door. You've got to leave your interpretations and check them at the door and don't pick them up on the way out. You've got to leave your own potato salad you brought with you to the kingdom of God and you've got to leave it behind because God has prepared a table for you. He's ordered the menu. You don't get to tell him what your dietary requirements are when you come to his marriage supper. You've got to eat what he provides and what he sets in front of you. Everything in the kingdom is ready for you. You just have to come. Jesus took care of the decorations. Jesus took care of the setup. His staff provided the venue. They set the tables, they arranged the napkins, and they picked the colors. They arranged the flowers, and they picked the color of the wedding garments. All you had to do was come. And for those of you that like to go to weddings, because it gives you an excuse to buy a new outfit, that wasn't the case here. Because we'll see later on, the king provided the wedding garment. You didn't even have to worry about if you were going to clash with the bride or the groom. If what your hairstyle was going to off-show hers, don't have to worry about it because the king is taking care of it for you. You just come. He'll give you the clothes. He'll give you the food. And what that tells me is when I come into the kingdom, I don't have to bring my talents and abilities. Whatever I have, God will provide it for me. If he wants me to be used in a certain area, he'll equip me with the things that I need. I don't have to be qualified to be part of God's kingdom. I just have to come. I just have to come. I don't have to be born of a certain uh, family. I don't have to have a certain pedigree or education behind my name. I think God chuckles at our, at our education uh, degrees, Amen. right? Amen. The letters behind somebody else's name. And God just kind of giggles to himself. Yeah, oh, you're a doctor. 
I'm not putting down education. I think it's good, and I think we need that. But but just so you know, when you come to God, you got to put your letters, take them off the yes, back sir. of your name. Yes, sir. And the only thing that needs to be attached to your name is the name of Jesus. Listen, God has done more with less. God has done more with less. Look up a man by the name of Benny Demerchant. Uneducated. Knew how to fly a plane, but is responsible, personally responsible. He's a Canadian, by the way, from New Brunswick. He's passed away since, since the last 10 years or so. He's personally responsible for the Pentecostal movement in the country of Brazil. Because he was the only missionary that would fly his plane up and down the Amazon River and go into towns and villages that no other missionaries would venture into. Him and his wife. And to this day, if he was he was the superintendent of the UPCI church in Brazil until the day he died. They would not elect anybody else because of the impact he had on that country. One uneducated man from the backwoods of New Brunswick did more for the kingdom of God than all the educated uh, uh, people that have been working in that country because he was willing to go where God called him to go. All he did was come. He came. God has built everything. You ever, you ever, you ever study how babies grow in the womb? From the moment they are conceived, they have 100% of everything they need to grow into the adult that they, they become later in life. The moment the sperm and the egg unite, the DNA code is set and locked into place. And that DNA code is everything that that little embryo will need to become an adult. Their hair color is decided. The sound of their voice is decided. How tall they are going to be is decided. And it's only a matter of time before you see what was designed in the beginning come into fruition in the end. That is the kingdom of God. It may look like a little seed in the ground, but God's kingdom has everything inside of it. You don't have to worry about your qualifications. I don't care if you came from a messed up background and if you lived a life of abuse and mistreatment. My heart breaks for you. I empathize with you. I weep tears for you. But I'm here to let you know none of that can stop what God's kingdom has designed for you. All you have to do is come. Bring your broken self and come to the table. Bring your wounds and come to the table. You don't have to bring anything with you. You don't have to add anything to the kingdom. The kingdom has has enough in it to take care of itself. You just get to come. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Praise yes. The Lord. Psalms 23, verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What that tells me is God isn't going to necessarily remove your enemies from your vision, but he'll feed you in front of their enemies. He'll take care of you while your enemies watch. And I'm not talking about physical enemies. I'm talking about spiritual enemies. While the devil is watching, God will provide for you. While the devil is after you seeking whom he may devour, God is setting the table before you in the presence of your enemies. So he invites those to the supper. But listen, listen, listen. The parable doesn't stop there. We could shout about that right there. But the parable doesn't stop. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. 
So Jesus is telling the story, and, and, and there's another there's another development here in, in Matthew 22, verse 3. He sent his servants to notify those who were invited. So they, like many of you, received a save-the-date envelope, right? When you get someone's getting married close to you, they send you a save-the-date, right? It's not the official invitation. That's just telling you, make this date special for you because it's coming. And then they send you an invitation, right? It's usually pretty and has embossed letters on it and fancy things. And if they're really annoying, they'll have confetti in the envelope. But please don't do that. That's really annoying. They send you an invitation. And so the king sends his servants to notify those who were invited. Now, when you get an invitation to a wedding, you look at your calendar. Can I go? You look at the destination. Is it destination wedding? Can I afford the expense? But when it was the king who invites you, you go. You don't ask if. You, you just figure out how. When the king invites you to his son's wedding, you go, who's little old me? Really? Man. I'm going to take a loan on my, I'm going to put a lien on my mortgage to go to this wedding. I'm, I'm going to add, I'm going to, I'll go on credit. I've got to get to this wedding. I'll beg, borrow, and steal. I'll walk there on foot. But I, this is the mindset. I've got to get to this wedding. If the king has personally invited me, he sends an invitation with my name on it, I'm going. There's no if, ands, or buts. I'll book child care. My, my mother will take care of the kids. She'll have to figure it out. But I am going. The king has invited me to the wedding. That was the, that was the mindset. Why? So many good reasons, right? If you go to a king's wedding, you're going to be hobnobbing with a bunch of officials in the kingdom, right? That's a good opportunity to make some new connections. Just look at it from a business perspective. Let's say you're a businessman or businesswoman. You're going to go to the king's banquet. Number one, you want to look good to the king. You want to look good to the king that will be the prince. And, and you want to you want to hobnob with the officials. You might be able to get them to change a policy or two that you really want that's going to help your business grow, right? Just look at it from strictly a, a business opportunity. There is a lot of reasons to go to the king's son's wedding. Nothing could be more important. Invitations were sent out ahead of time. And yet, yet when, when the feast comes around and the wedding is ready, the king sends a personal attendant to each invitee and says, everything is ready. It's time for you to come. But what I like about that is they didn't even have to worry about transportation. The, the attendants came to escort them to the wedding. So when, let me tell you this. When you're coming into the kingdom, God will send the escorts to you to get you out of where you're at, to get you where you need to be. You didn't come to God all by yourself. Let me bust that bubble right now. God sent an angel to you and directed the right preacher to the right place, just like he did with Cornelius in the book of Acts. Cornelius was doing 
doing all the good acts. He was doing all the nice things. He was praying and giving money to the poor by building tabernacles for the Jews. And God sends an angel to Peter and says, go to Cornelius' house. He sends an angel to Cornelius and says, listen to what this man Peter has to say. You didn't come to church on your own. God sent his attendants to you and personally directed you to the right place, the right time, and the right location for you to hear the message about the kingdom of God. God will not only invite you to his kingdom, but he'll give you a personal escort to his kingdom. He'll make sure you get there. You don't get here of your own free will. He comes and finds you. That's why we sing the song, I was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But Jesus isn't necessarily talking to you. He's talking to the Pharisees, remember? They're asking the question, by what authority are you doing all these things? So Jesus tells the guys, guess what? You received the paper invitation a long time ago. The Old Testament. You received the written invitation that the kingdom of heaven was about to come. And then God sent you a personal attendant, me, and John the Baptist, to let you know the kingdom is here and the marriage supper is ready. You just have to come. And listen to what they said. Listen to what they said. Matthew 22, verse 5. But they made light of it. That old wedding. I bet he's serving pogo sticks and hash browns. I ain't going to that thing. No, sir. You know who they have cooking on their staff at that wedding? No, ma'am. I would not eat a thing off of her plate. No, sir. She doesn't know how to use any seasoning in her cooking. I ain't going. No, thank you. That decorated, they couldn't put two flowers together if they tried. It's going to be a... They made light of it. They gave lame excuses. What did they say? Oh, you know what? I've got to go tend to my farm. How many of you would rather go milk a cow or shovel the droppings of a cow or go to the banquet of a king? Is that a no-brainer? No-brainer. That's a no-brainer. I'll put my chores of farm duties on hold to go to a king's banquet. Yes, please. And then another one, the Bible says that he went to his store. How many of you want to deal with crabby customers, Karens and Kevins in your store? And, and, and you want to deal with that over a king's banquet? What kind of a crazy are you? And Jesus is telling this kind of a crazy story for a reason. Because this was the answer the Pharisees were giving to Jesus. Jesus is saying, look. The king has sent you the invitation a long time ago. It's written in the word of God. The prophets foretold the Messiah was going to come. Messiah shows up and his forerunner gets ahead of him and says the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and turn to God because the kingdom of God is here. The king actually shows up on the scene and you look at him and say, I've got to go milk my cows. He's inviting you. See, this is, this is the difference between God and us. We look at God's invitation as condemnation and guilt. Because the message we hear is repent of your sins and turn to God. And we go, repent of what? What sins? Who are you to tell me I've sinned? Who are you to tell me I've... You're here to judge me. You're here to control my life. 
You're here to tell me I can't be who I want to be. You're, you're, you're offensive to me. Worse than that, you're performing hate crimes on me by telling me I can't be who I, want, who I think I am. And, and if I want to define myself as X, Y, Z, that I want to define myself. And who are you to tell me I cannot do that? What, 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 what? And, and God says, wait a minute, I'm inviting you to a marriage wedding banquet. God's scratching his head going, I, I don't understand. I'm inviting you to a marriage supper, a banquet that you don't have to buy clothes for, you don't have to buy a plane ticket to get to, you don't have to provide food, it's not potluck, so you don't have, you can put your potato salad back in the fridge and save it for another day. You don't, I'll provide the ox, the fatlings, and all the sides, and the, and, and the wedding favor on the, on, the, on the back end of it. You don't even have to bring a wedding gift, you just come to the marriage supper. What we look at as condemnation and guilt, God looks at as a feast spread before us with all the luxuries and all the beauty. We've got to redeem the word repentance in our vocabulary. Repentance is not a dirty word. It's a feast table. It's a banquet spread before you. Repentance is not condemnation and guilt. Repentance is a gift from God. The opportunity to turn around and say I was wrong and make it right without anything else. Do you know what the Bible says about God and your sin? He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. You cannot travel east and, and, and run into west. You keep traveling east, you'll always be going east. You cannot travel west and all of a sudden reach the east. The Bible tells you that God has removed your sins so far away that if it were possible to separate the two, that's how far your sin away is from you. Because when you come to God's kingdom, He wipes it clean as if you had never sinned before. But we look at it. No, you know what? I'm too busy. i got to milk the cows. i got to do the business. Jesus amps up the story a little bit. Verse 26, the Bible says, Others seized the messengers, insulted, and killed them. How? Have you ever killed anybody over an invitation to a wedding? Have you ever wanted to kill somebody over an invitation to a wedding? No. I mean, you might be a little, like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to that wedding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to sit next to them at the wedding. You might have done that, but you didn't kill anybody for it. What's the, what's the deal with the drastic measures? That's the point. Because, see, to the, to the Pharisees, the invitation to God's wedding feast was a threat to their life and their dominion. They were holding on to being the king of their own heart. What was the big deal? It's the same deal we have. We want to be king of our own life. We want to govern. If I go to the king's banquet, he's choosing the clothes, he's choosing the food, he's setting the table, he's in charge, not me. That was the real deal. The heart of the issue is they didn't want to get off the throne of their heart and let Jesus sit on the throne of their heart. And so some were willing to dismiss it, and others were so vigorous about protecting their own heart's throne, they were willing to kill the messengers that invited them to a banquet. Now, 
Jesus continues his story. He says, you know what? I, I, drastic measures call for drastic action. So the king heard and was angry, and he sent his armies and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. Jesus was prophesying about what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem in 70 AD was burned to the ground, and the temple was torn from stone from stone. Everything was taken apart and demolished because they not only rejected the messenger, they actually killed the messenger on the cross. So, so God says, fine. They which were, up, were invited to the wedding were not worthy. So go into the highways, and as many as you find, bid them to the marriage. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, because you have not just refused, but you've rejected so God is going to turn to those who are in the highways of life. The highways in, in the Bible days were the same as today. Everybody traveled the highway. Gentile, Jew, Greek, everyone. Of every nationality, of every race. And God says, go into the highways and bid whoever wants to come, to come to the wedding. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, Jews. You have the personal handwritten invitation from God. You have the embossed save the date card sent to you before the invitation. You have the personal attendance that we're going to cart you from your place into the wedding, into the kingdom of God. But since you have refused and rejected, I'm turning to those who have no invitation, but they're going to receive the last minute notice. You can just enter the kingdom. And as many as you find bid to come into the marriage, this is us. We get to just come into the marriage. God has bidden us both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. But the story doesn't end there because the king's walking around, and he sees a guy walking around without a wedding garment on. Now, this is a common thing. In those days, if you were invited to the king's banquet, likely you didn't have the kind of clothes that would be satisfactory in a, in a king's banquet hall. So in order for the king to avoid embarrassing anybody, he would buy enough garments for everybody in the wedding party, and everyone would get to wear the same clothes. So that means the richest man in his kingdom probably had to wear something a little bit less than he's used to. And the poorest man in his kingdom was elevated to a garment that he had never put on in his entire life. Everybody was on the same playing field. When you come into the kingdom of God, there's no first, second, third, fourth, or fifths. Pastors aren't better than saints. Prophets aren't better than evangelists. And missionaries aren't better than teachers. Everybody's wearing the same garment in the same kingdom, eating from the same table, eating the same food. There's no favorites. There's no betters. There's no worsers. Everybody's on the same playing field because we're all wearing the same garment. Amen. But the king found one person who decided not to put on the garment. And the king said, how did you even get in here without a wedding garment on? The Bible says that the man was speechless. What is the wedding garment? Often you'll see in the Bible, Isaiah 61.10, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What kind of robe does God want you to put on? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing before God. And automatically we all go, oh, that can't be me. My history will not allow me to claim that I'm righteous. Amen. And if you say that, you're in a good place because you're being honest with yourself. Right. Is there any righteous? The Bible says, no, 
There's not one. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. And if you look at the, the, uh, the original Hebrew, filthy rags was equivalent to that of the kind of rags you use to clean yourself when you're in the washroom. That's what a filthy rag was. Graphic, but it gets the message across. Your attempts to be right before God, God looks at as filthy, dirty, soiled rags. We cannot attain righteousness on our own. You can't give enough money to the poor. You can't feed enough homeless. You can't do enough good deeds to earn righteousness before God. God knows that, so guess what he does? He provides you with a garment that you did not purchase. He purchases the garment and gives it to you. How do I put on this garment? The Bible tells us, it's very simple, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. All of you have been united with Christ in baptism. Have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Amen. When you go down in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name. Because you have to put on Christ. You're not putting on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Amen. you are. But you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Because you're putting on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is therefore now no gentleman Because we're all in the same garment. There's no slave or free. There's no male, no female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you're the true children of Abraham. You're his heirs. And God's promise of Abraham belongs to you. When you get saved, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit, you are declared righteous before God. And you get to live out that righteousness. What happens, Pastor, if I get to the, the wedding banquet and I spill a little ketchup on my garment? I make a mistake. I sin. I go back to my old ways. Maybe I take the garment off altogether and put on my old garments again. The Bible says, if you sinned, James chapter 1 tells us that you just confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? I don't have to be rebaptized. If you if you've been baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I encourage you to get baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's what the apostles did in Acts. You read every account in the book of Acts. Every time somebody was baptized, it was in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 2.38, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. And even in Acts 19, John's disciples who were baptized under John's baptisms got rebaptized in Jesus' name because their baptism of repentance was a good step. It was a good step, but they needed the name of Jesus applied to their life because it's only through the name you have access to the blood. And through the blood you have access to the God of righteousness. And the Bible repeatedly tells us that when you come into Christ, you put on Christ. You put on Jesus. You put on that robe of righteousness. Don't get to the wedding feast without the garment on. Don't get to heaven and realize, oops, I forgot to put on the king's garment. Because what Jesus said is if you're found at the wedding feast without the garment on, you won't be allowed to stay at the wedding. You've got to wear what the king has designed for you to wear. Again, that's not condemnation. That's an invitation. That's not guilt. That's an embossed, engraved, personalized 
letter attended to you by a messenger who says God wants you to put on that robe of righteousness so you can enjoy the wedding feast. So my life is no better than yours. I may look more polished. I may sound really eloquent in a pulpit, but I'm just as human as the rest of you. I need the righteousness of God. Why don't you just lift your hands to heaven and talk to the Lord for a few minutes before we leave this place today. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the, the invitation into your kingdom. Thank you, God, that it's, it's, not, it's not a judgment against us, but it's an open door to us to walk through. In the name of Jesus, I pray a covering over this message, a covering over your people, a covering over this word. I speak revelation and understanding and the love of God to wrap around us. Lord, you've chosen us. You've picked us, God. Many are called this morning. I pray that everyone here will be chosen. I pray that everyone who's been called here today will respond with a yes to the invitation. Don't let us be too busy with life. Don't let us be too busy with the farm and the business. Don't let us get so angry that we throw out the message because it offends us. God, help us to see that you've invited us to the table this morning to be part of your wedding. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Would you come to this altar? Would you pray together, pray for one another, that God's revelation will come upon you, that you'll enter the kingdom with the garment on, that you'll walk in righteousness and in the fear of God. God, help me to walk in righteousness. Help me to walk in the fear of the Lord. Help me to walk in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of your word in Jesus name in Jesus name there's a table spread before you there's a banquet prepared before you this morning there's a gift that God wants to give you today there's a blessing that God wants to pour out into your life in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus we receive that blessing Father we receive that blessing today we receive your favor God, you've chosen me. You looked at me and you saw me. You wanted me at your table. You invited me to your table. You prepared a table before me. In the name of Jesus.